prepare ourselves to jump into God's word this morning. Uh, I believe the Lord has something to say to us today, very important, and really following some of what we talked about last week. If, if you remember last week, we began walking through the Lord's Prayer as we continue our series called Diffusers of Grace, because we want to be the kind of people that wherever we go, the essence and the aroma of who Jesus is just rolls off of us, right? You want to be that kind of person? You want to be the kind of person that when people see you, they, they see and they savor the goodness of Jesus? We've spent all the time that we've been in this passage and we've, we've seen Jesus sort of lay out what it's like to be a kingdom citizen, a citizen of the kingdom of God. And yeah, granted, we, sometimes we look around and we're like, okay, but where is the kingdom? This is a broken world. Very little seems right about it. And yet the Lord is, comes to us and says, hey, here... I'm constituting my kingdom, and you, my children, you get to be citizens, your sons and daughters of the king. And so today, let's, let's think about all that we've talked about to this point, and, and we get to the Lord's Prayer. Last week, we talked about acknowledging God's goodness, focusing on where God is going, and then moving with God, right? We don't just... We don't just say, God's good, and I know what he's doing. I see the end of the story. I've read Revelation 21. I know this ends in a big, glorious city. And I know his plan for our community is to be an echo of that future and coming glorious city, right? Do you think of Oklahoma City in that way? When you see Oklahoma City and you see all of its brokenness and all the, all of its, uh, all the disturbing elements of this city, do we look at it and do we think God's design for this place is that would echo the future coming kingdom and the new Jerusalem. If that's not our dream for the city, we've got to have a bigger dream. But if we believe that that's where God is taking things with this world, and by the way, we don't want to fall into the old escapist mentality. You realize that, that this idea that God was just going to destroy everything about this world, that whole idea wasn't, that didn't exist in classical Christianity. Scripture teaches us that he's restoring this world. Now, a lot is going to be burned away. We know that. There will be much that we, will, be, will be burned away. In fact, Paul even says in, in the Corinthian letters about us, he says, whatever we have in us that isn't of Christ is going to be burned away. And so what's left is going to be the gold refined by fire. And the world is going to be the same sort of a way. Now, it doesn't mean that God is literally going to burn you with fire. But the point is that that baptism of the Holy Spirit that, that comes upon every believer, we receive baptism, right? We receive the true baptism that the water baptism represents is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus baptizes with fire and you are redeemed and you are being restored and we're progressively becoming more like him. That's the Christian life. In the same way, because he's restoring us, he's restoring the entire world that we live in. Now, yes, it's broken today. It's, it's messed up. We can look around and say there, sometimes it's hard to find the kingdom of God, but we know that he is taking this to a better place and not to a worse one. God's plan for the earth is not to death star it, okay? 
All right, I had to make a Star Wars reference. Haven't made one in a while. His, his will for this planet is not like Grand Moff Tarkin and Darth Vader blowing up, you know, Princess Leia's planet. That's not what God wants to do to this world. His, his goal is for this world to be as he intended for it to be. When he created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden as his priests. And they were. That was a temple, the Garden of Eden. And... If you read the end of the story, you'll find that it's, again, a temple with a tree of life. So I want us to reshape the way that we think about our community. This is a place that God values. It's a place that God loves. The people are people that God loves, even in their brokenness. And he's done everything he can to redeem as many as possible. And he's called us into his work. So if we know where God is headed then we have to ask the question, what's keeping us from moving with God in the direction where he's wanting us to go? And I think that when we get into the next part here in verse 11, and Jesus prays this prayer, give us today our daily bread. What we're going to find is there's something in this, in this prayer of Jesus to, to say, to us today on how we might actually move with God. So let's read the passage together. Therefore, you should pray like this, starting in verse 9, by the way. Therefore, you should pray like this. Uh, I probably ought to say the chapter. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. I find it interesting in this particular focus verse that we're in today, verse 11. Again, give us today our daily bread. That the language Jesus uses here, he really was speaking right on the level of where the people were that he was preaching to. Let's put ourselves into first century Galilee. This place was the poorest of the poor. This, this place, there, the, most people were struggling to survive. For many of them, they worked that very day for the food that they ate. I, when you talk about living hand to mouth, these people lived hand to mouth. They worked for every morsel and it barely came in time. Can you imagine not being able to feed your children? We live in a country, we're so blessed. Do we even know how blessed we are? I mean, look, the McDouble may not be blessed of the Lord, but it's sustenance for a dollar. You know what I mean? Like almost anybody can get food in this country. We are so blessed. They lived in a day where they fought and struggled for bread. And, and I want to point out too that the word that we tr translate traditionally as bread in English, it actually is a, it's got a deeper meaning than just bread. It could actually be used just generally to describe food or, or subsistence, what I need to be sustained. So, when Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, he's, he's saying to us, he's praying for us uh, and for himself and for the people there in that moment. 
Lord, would you just give us what we need to be sustained today? And there are actually a lot of scholars, a lot of Bible scholars who believe that that word in the early first century context had an even deeper meaning than that. It goes back to a Hebrew word that I can't pronounce very well, so I'm not even going to say it. But, um, but, but the word, it goes even deeper. It, it, it could even be said to say not just subsistence or sustenance, but actually existence. Give us today, Lord, our existence, which really calls us back to the very first few chapters in Scripture when the Father, when the Father through the Son spoke and everything began to exist. Now, that's a powerful thought, isn't it? it, it we could almost... Look at this and, 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 and hear Jesus saying, Father, would you speak everything we need into existence into our lives today? Would, would, you, would you use that power that you displayed at the very beginning and, and, you, and you continue to display every day by keeping everything afloat, which, by the way, Paul writes in Colossians that it's Christ who holds all things together. That gives us a little insight into why things went so haywire when he died on the cross. But that same creation power sustains every day and sustains you and me and calls us into life. And so Jesus, what he's doing is he's forcing us to look outside of what we see and to realize there's something greater underneath it all. Now, I don't know about you. Most of us probably have full bellies today. Uh, Stacy bought some cinnamon rolls at the Mustang Farmer's Market yesterday, and I'm pretty sure I've had all of my calories for the day by eating one of them. Um, I will tell you this. I'm not lacking Maybe I should be a little more lacking sometimes. I, um, and most Americans are probably that way, especially in Oklahoma. We, we like our food. We like fried chicken. We, you know, we, we, we're, that, we're the Midwest and the South meats, and so we got both of those, and both of those people like to eat a lot of food. You know? um, and, and, and so we, we rarely have empty bellies unless we choose to. But we need to understand what I, just, that, what I just said about this word. Because if what I just said, if this is really, it's, it, it is about food. Food is a part of it. But it's, if it's about our existence in general, then it's a lot deeper. So you may say, well, you know, I, I, I could pray for God to give me my daily bread, but I'm good. I've got enough money. I can go to the store and buy some. Now, if there's anything the pandemic has shown us, that that's not guaranteed always. I mean, we toilet paper was going for like a hundred dollars a roll on eBay for a little while, you know? Um, and, and there was, you guys remember not that long ago, it was hard to get meat. I mean, that was a problem. I like steak, you know? Um, but, but what we know that maybe our world isn't as secure as we think it is, but that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. We're not like the people in Jesus day where they were literally struggling to survive. We do pretty well. But we need to understand that our daily bread can really, it's really about a lot more than just the food that we take in. So I want to give three 
classical interpretations of this statement are daily bread. And the reason I'm bringing all three of them to the table is because I actually think that all three of them, I think all three of them have meaning in this text. I think Jesus, you know, sometimes in the Bible, there are certain things that have double meanings or triple meanings. And I think that's what we're running into here. I think this, this particular word, Jesus had, it was a word for the day. Those people needed food. So, Lord, give us our daily bread. But they didn't just need food. They needed spiritual nourishment as well. And, and they also needed the power to live a Christian life. All three of those things were necessary. And I believe when Jesus prayed, give us our daily bread, all of that was included. Now, how do I know that? I'm not just presuming this. I'm, I've been reading the passage. And in the context of the passage, what, what Jesus is talking about is the kingdom of God and life in the kingdom of God and what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so we can know, and, and, we, and he just prayed this prayer. You know, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a kingdom thing. And so this sort of follows what's happening here. So the first thing, again, our daily bread. The first thing that we're going to see here is that there is a sacramental grace that is implied here. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. Maybe like, wow, that's a really, that's not a very Protestant word. Well, we're going to talk about it, okay? And we're going to Protestantize it a little bit, okay? Um, <laughs> or either that or we're going to biblicize Protestantism. Uh, anyway, um, the second thing that we're going to see is there's kingdom grace. And the third thing that we're going to see is that there's physical grace for every day. I recently watched a documentary. I watch a lot of documentaries. I don't know why. It's, it's what I like to watch. You know, I th- you know why I like to watch documentaries? I think it's because I don't get sucked in. You know, it's like I watch one and it's done. I don't have to watch a series, you know. Um, and, and I just, I don't have time for any of that in my life. <laughs> it's also why I like YouTube videos. It's 15 minutes, I'm done, you know. Um, and I don't have to pay much attention to it. <laughs> but I was watching this documentary on the Errol Sea. How many of you are familiar with the Errol Sea? might be the RLC. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. I'm not Russian. Um, but, uh, but this is a, a massive sea located near the former Soviet Union towards you know, the bottom. And uh, yeah, you should look it up sometime. It's really interesting. But uh, it, there was a time when this was the fourth largest lake in the world. Today, it barely exists. And it's actually been a horrible economic disaster. It's, it's, it's terrible. Well, how did that happen? Well, uh, um, a handful of years ago, back in the 1960s, um, you know, some brilliant people called the Soviet government thought, hey, you know what would be really cool? We should grow cotton in the desert. How are we going to grow cotton in the desert? Well, we should divert some rivers so that we can, you know, irrigate these fields and then we'll grow cotton in the desert. Oh, great, that sounds awesome. Well, what about, uh, the, what about the RLC and all the villages around it that rely on fishing for their, for their living? Oh, don't worry about them. Fish aren't as lucrative as cotton. I'm not kidding. This is what happened. And uh, um, they diverted the rivers, and what ended up happening is they dried up this massive sea, and they left this population without their source of livelihood that they'd had for generations, a thousand years. It's really bad. Okay, it's still really bad. Um, 
that these places have never recovered from this. And also cotton, they found out, isn't as lucrative as they thought. They called it white gold. I mean, anyway, um, that's what I call vanilla ice. But anyway, <laughs> um, so, uh, but, but there's this fascinating, if you, if you look up the RLC, you'll find there's some pictures of these fishing boats just out in the middle of nowhere on land. And, and it seems crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Why is there a fishing boat just out in the middle of the land? And it's because the lake began to dry up and these people, the, the, the shoreline got further and further away from the villages until it just didn't make sense anymore and they just moored their boats and when the lake continued to recede, the boats stayed there. And so now there's, there's these, there's these, these uh, rusty holes just laying out in the middle of what was once a massive lake. And I was praying about this message and, and I was like, Lord, how? How do you want to deliver this? And one of the things I heard the Lord say to me, actually, he gave me that picture of the, of the RLC and of those boats. And the Lord said to me that his grace is the ocean that the boats of our faith float in. That if you don't have grace present, your faith won't matter. In other words, he's the empowering behind it, right? And so the title of today's message is that we're sustained by grace, sustained by grace. It's God's grace. He gives us the power to float. He grants us the ability to have the faith that leads to transformation in our lives. It's like Paul says in Ephesians, it's by grace you're saved through faith. God is the initiator. And so this is really important when we're talking about grace and understanding what grace is, it's his empowering it's God's empowering. And so when we look here at this first point here, it's the, sacra- the bread represents sacramental grace. Give us today our daily bread. And, and I want to talk a little bit about that word sacramental, sacrament. What does that mean? Classically and historically, it's been understand that a sacrament is a, uh, is a physical reality that represents a spiritual reality. So in... Most Christian traditions, when they're baptized, they, we all understand that it's not the act of baptism itself that saves us, although some would argue against that. But the Bible, even Peter says, uh, in, in 1 Peter, he says, hey, corresponding to the water through which the ark went through and people were saved in the ark with Noah, he says, corresponding to that water, baptism now saves you. He says, it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but it's the appeal to God for a good conscience. So you understand what Peter's doing when he says that? He's saying, hey, the act of baptism itself is not the saving grace, but it's what's happening underneath that. Somehow God has allowed you to see your brokenness and your sinfulness, and you've come to him in repentance, and you're asking God, Lord, I, I am broken, I'm dead in my sins, but I desperately need you to restore me. That's faith empowered by grace. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, which we do on a pretty regular basis here. We are acknowledging that it's Christ's broken body in our place which has opened the door for us to be forgiven from our sins. We're not forgiven just because God's a, you know, he, he's, see, God's not one of those passive parents that looks at his kids and be like, yeah, you know what? You hit the car with the sledgehammer, but it's okay. Well, it'll buff out. 
there are consequences to our actions. And when Adam and Eve sinned against God, there are consequences, natural consequences. They turned away from God. They lost his grace that empowered them to live a holy life. And it wasn't because God just took it away because he's a mean, angry God. It's because they turned their back on God and said, we don't need you anymore. And every human since then has naturally lived that way. All of church tradition talks about this concept of original sin or total depravity or whatever you want to, however you want to call it. It's the doctrine that we are so far from God that in and of ourselves, we don't have the power to come back. It takes a work of grace. Now, there are theological arguments about when that grace comes in and how it works. That doesn't matter that much. Leave that to the work of theologians. But we all can understand that it is by God's grace that we come. So sacramental grace, we want to acknowledge that it's the body of Jesus represented here. In John chapter 6, starting in verse 47, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. We all know Jesus didn't mean that we would literally go take a bite of his flesh. You guys remember that weird Axe body spray commercial for the chocolate stuff where like a chocolate dude's walking around people are just taking bites out of him? That's creepy. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about his body broken on the cross for us. Sacramental grace. Give us our daily bread. Lord Jesus, give us today the power to overcome sin that we have because you were broken for us. That's daily bread. That's a part of what it means for us to have daily bread. It's about God's grace in us. The the discourse Jesus had with the Samaritan woman in John chapter four is kind of similar, but he talks about water. She's going to get a drink of water because, you know, she's thirsty and she's embarrassed because she has this incredibly sinful life and doesn't want to be seen. So she goes at the hottest part of the day in the desert. That's dumb right? Like we're all thinking, man, you're in the desert. You go when it's cool. No, she, because of her shame is going when it's the worst possible time to go and get water. And Jesus meets her there. And he says, I'm the living water. The water that I have to give to you, if you drink it, you won't ever be thirsty again. See, what's he talking about? He's talking about her soul, her spirit, And it's the same with this bread when he says, my body, my flesh is the bread that came down from heaven. Remember how the father gave the manna to the Israelites every day? And even as he gave them the manna in the desert, some of them didn't trust him. And they would hoard it. And then it would go bad and they would have to go out the next day and get it anyway. And only on the Sabbath day, on the day before the Sabbath day, was two portions provided They had to trust him. They were forced to trust him. And I think that's part of the point here. Jesus says, give us our daily bread. He realizes the Father gives us just what we need. So the next day, we'll have to come back to him. Now, that's not because God is needy and and, and really, you know, needs us to need him. 
No, it's because God knows that we need him. And if we cease depending on him, we're going to turn back inward to ourselves. And that will destroy us just like it did our first parents, Adam and Eve. Physical sustenance of all kinds and our need for them serve as reminders of our own mortality. Every time I eat a meal, I should be reminded that I'm mortal, that I could die. That's going to make dinner really great for you tonight, isn't it? <laughs> but, but here's the point of that. I come to the table and I eat food, and I, we actually do this pretty often in our house, not as often as we probably should, but a lot of times we'll pray a prayer similar to this. We'll say, Lord, today I need you to provide for me spiritually like this food is providing for me physically. You're my food. You're my drink. You're my spiritual sustainment. So these things are a greater, they're, they're a reminder of a greater spiritual reality. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. What does that mean? It means that every day I'm trusting God to provide what I need for that day. And for tomorrow, for the day after. See, it means I'm not depending upon myself. I'm depending upon what God is doing on my behalf. So we're trusting in the broken body of Christ to free us from every sin and all of the effects of sin. That's sacramental grace. But what about kingdom grace? Well, kingdom grace, again, give us this day our daily bread. What is our daily bread relating to the kingdom of God? This perspective emphasizes our daily bread as the spiritual sustenance we need to live out kingdom citizenship in everyday life. This is the empowering of the Holy Spirit. This is the, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's about God's grace to transform us. Paul also wrote in Colossians chapter 3, So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death that which belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with, it, with its practices and it put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. You know, you read something like that in the Bible and you think, how? Anybody ever do that? Anybody ever look at the fruit of your life and you read something like this where Paul, he's just like, hey, don't do that stuff anymore. And you just, you ever think, I'm just not a very good Christian. 
because I'm really bad at not doing the stuff of the old life. Anybody ever feel that way? Can I tell you the gospel takes the emphasis off of you and me and puts it on Jesus? If we're putting the emphasis on us, we're missing the point of the gospel. You didn't die on the cross for your sins. If you did, you wouldn't be here and neither would anybody else. Matter of fact, you should have died on the cross for your sins, but Christ died in your place. And because he died on the cross for your sins, your sins are forgiven. And because of his resurrection, you and I are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a holy and righteous life. Now, okay, so, so then what's the secret sauce? You know, y'all know the secret sauce. It's the difference between a hamburger and a Big Mac. You know what I mean? I, I got a lot of McDonald's references today for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yesterday I took Rachel on a date because we went on a daddy-daughter dance. It was really great. And she wanted to go to McDonald's. I was like, no, girl, we go into a good restaurant because I don't want any man to ever take you on a date to McDonald's. That's a guy you dump immediately, okay? Um, so I'm teaching that girl, you need fancy things, and that boy needs to whip his wallet out and buy you good stuff, all right? Okay? <laughs> but... Uh, but, you know, so I think that's why McDonald's is on my mind because my child has really, she just has low expectations apparently. But you know what I mean by the secret sauce. Okay, we all know it's just Thousand Island. But, man, it takes that burger to the next level, you know? What's the secret sauce? How do I move from being broken to, like, being like Jesus? How does that happen? It's by faith. It's by faith. And, and I want to encourage you. This is not a faith you conjure up in yourself. It's a faith that is empowered by the grace of God. So how do we do that? Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, you, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do we get there? I want to encourage you. It's by walking by the Spirit. It's proximity to the Holy Spirit. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do in me and yielding myself to him. Does it take discipline from you and me? Yes, but it's empowered by grace discipline. You know, spiritual disciplines, if you do spiritual disciplines, apart from the empowering grace of God, you know what that's like? It's like those rusty boats out on the Aral Sea. You won't be going anywhere if you're doing it in your own strength. But if we do it empowered by the grace of God, we will find ourselves floating in the ocean of his grace. And we'll find ourselves going somewhere and moving in his power. Now here's the next thing about this kingdom grace thing. God would not give you a command that he did not intend to bring about in you as a Christian. God's not going to look at you and me and say to you, Hey, listen, uh, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, that's in the Bible. Y'all have read that, you know? And you were also intimidated by it when you read it, weren't you? But he's not going to say something like that to us if he doesn't intend to bring it about in us. That's the kingdom grace that we're talking about here. Lord, give us our daily bread. Lord, give us the power to be like Jesus today. Feed our souls, because we know we can't do this on our own. 
I don't have the power. Church, I don't have the power. I'm being honest with you right now. I don't have the power. Yes, I am, I am a pastor. I've been in ministry for, it's, it's getting to almost 20 years. It's weird. Um, I, I've been doing this for a while. I've been walking with the Lord since I was a young teenager. Can I tell you something? I don't have the power. Every single day, I still rely on His grace to empower me. And on the days when I'm not walking with the Lord, do you know what happens to me? I fall apart. Because I, I know that I'm supposed to be a good little boy. But do you know, it just, the whole thing begins to melt down into this moralistic, therapeutic deism. And that's, that's, a, that's a big term. But let me tell you what that, that means. It means we turn to ourselves. And a deism is a belief that God is there, but he's distant. He's not really in my life. A lot of Americans live that way. A lot of preachers on TV preach that way. Don't listen to those guys. Anybody who puts the emphasis on you rather than on Jesus, that is not someone who's preaching the gospel. Turn that TV off, turn that radio off, delete that podcast. We need people pointing us to Jesus because only in Christ are we going to be able to overcome. Are we going to be able to live like kingdom people? So I'm challenging and encouraging us this morning. Let's put our hearts Focus on him and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit can do. Now, how do you do that? Spiritual disciplines help. I'm going to tell you, read your Bible. That helps. Because if you're not in God's word, how are you going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Spend time in prayer asking the Holy Spirit to do these things. Look, we we said this last week, but James said, hey, if you're the kind of person who's asking or who's not asking, one, you're not getting what you're asking for if you're not asking for it in the first place. But second, if you're asking and you don't have faith that God's actually going to do it, don't expect God to answer. And I think I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to say it again. One of the reasons I don't think we see a lot of spiritual power in the American church today is because we're just not even asking for it. (laughs) One, because we're so naturalistic, we don't believe God still does those kinds of things in our world. And even those who are... I'm going to challenge us a little bit. Even Even those of us who are charismatic theologically or continuationist or whatever you want to call it. A lot of us have a theoretical belief, but we don't have a practical one. So we're not like actually earnestly desiring spiritual gifts, especially that we may prophesy. We don't see the power because we're not asking God for the power. And he wants us to come to him and depend on him. John Piper wrote in his book, Desiring God, not only... Do we begin to live by God's word, but we also go on living by God's word? Man shall not live on bread alone, but but by every word which comes from the mouth of God, out of Matthew 4.4 and Deuteronomy 8.3. He goes on to say, our physical life is created and upheld by the word of God, and our spiritual life is quickened and sustained by the word of God. So what does that tell me if I'm If I want to grow, if I want to be strong for the kingdom, if I want to be a citizen of the kingdom who has power to overcome my sins and to to display the glory of Christ to the world, do you know what you need? Could it be more obvious? I'm holding it up. You need God's word. You need the Bible in your life. You need to know what the Holy Spirit inspired the prophets and the apostles and others to write in these pages. It's important for you and I. And, and I would say that if we don't have a commitment to put this into our hearts, we really shouldn't have much of an expectation for the Spirit to move in power in our lives. 
because we're not walking by the Spirit. We're not drawing near to Him. This is one way that we draw near to Him. A.W. Tozer wrote, Before there can be fullness, there must be emptiness. Before God can fill us with Himself, we must first be emptied of ourselves. If this empty, it is this emptying that brings the painful disappointment, the despair of self of which so many persons have complained just prior to their new and radiant experience. There must come a total self-disvaluation, a death of all things without us and within us, or there can never be a real filling with the Holy Spirit. And that's what the kingdom grace is about, being filled and staying filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, there's a third thing. And I want to mention it a little more briefly, but that's the physical grace. And this perspective emphasizes our daily bread is literally referring to God's provision to sustain our mortal bodies. And, 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 and this is important because in this we are trusting that God is going to do what God said he was going to do. Jesus says, you shouldn't be anxious. Why? He says, because God cares about you. We're going to see that here in, a, a, in, in the Sermon on the Mount here soon. <laughs> we'll get to that part where he, says, where he talks about anxiety. And we, but why shouldn't we be anxious? Jesus says, it's because the Father knows you. And he's numbered your hairs and he cares about you. He cares more about you than he cares about the birds. And he feeds the birds. So, of course, he's going to take care of you. When we trust in God in that way, it actually kills our anxiety. Dallas Willard called this a trust in God's eternal reign now. It's not a later reign. He's reigning now, which means that he has sovereign authority over my moment today. It, it doesn't mean that God's going to treat us like spoiled children just giving us whatever we want. That's not the point here. It's critical that we always have God first in line in our hearts if not, we run the risk of trusting in material possessions to save us rather than in Christ. And such an error can badly derail us. It's what Adam and Eve did, right? They trusted in a fruit for their salvation. Now that seems crazy, but in the moment, that temptation overwhelmed them and they, and they followed the enemy right into it. But we do it all the time, don't we? When we have something in our lives that we, we look at and we say, God, I really need this to be happy. And, and I, I just imagine Jesus saying there, what am I to you? Don't you have everything you need in me? Don't you have a future kingdom in me? Don't you have a place in my kingdom? Aren't you going to judge angels in me? And you're obsessing over an iPhone or whatever it is. I just pick on the iPhone because it has an apple with a bite out of it, which if you don't know, that's actually, Steve Jobs was like, it's like the apple in the Garden of Eden. You can't stop yeah, anyway, um, we don't even know if that was an apple. I personally think it was probably a pomegranate, but whatever. You know, uh, but, but that, that's the idea, and they understand we're addicted to our stuff. Paul says in, he says to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. If we brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. God's going to provide everything that we need. Again, it doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want, but he will provide what you need. So if you pray, Lord, would you give me my daily bread today? You can trust that he's going to do that for you. 
All right, one, one more quote. Dallas Willard, he said, what hinders or shuts down kingdom living is not the having of such provisions, but rather the trusting in them for future security. We have no real security for the future in them, but only in God who is present with us each day. So we should pray for our daily bread, but we've got to keep in mind that our trust better not be in that daily bread, but in the giver of the daily bread. So where do we go with this? Well, I want to encourage us to not just hear this now and walk away forgetting it. I think these are things that we need to meditate on. We need to meditate on what it means to be fed sacramentally with Jesus' blood, his broken body for us. We need to understand what it means for him to, speed up, to feed us spiritually so that we can be the kingdom citizens that he's called us to be. And we need to understand that he will take care of our daily needs. We can trust God that he's good and he'll do that for us. This is out of the Life Application Study Bible. I just thought this was really good. It says, Our continual need for bread points to our deeper daily need for God. The request for today's bread keeps our relationship with God in the present tense. We will be just as much in need of God tomorrow as we are in need of His provision, of nourishment, protection, and guidance today. Each day, present your needs to Him. We need the sacramental bread, we need the bread of the kingdom. And we need physical bread every day. And I want to encourage us this morning that God is good. We can trust him. That he wants both us and others to have this bread as well. And just like Jesus, when he passed out the bread to the people who gathered to hear him on the mountainside, do you realize that God is multiplying the bread through you to others? You break a piece off, you hand it to somebody in need. You break a piece off, you hand it to somebody in need. You never run out of gospel power, Christian. You never run out of gospel power if you're connected to the one with all the power. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.